Welcome to the Midwest Church Planting Project, where we connect you with local church planters to learn about life and leadership here in the passive-aggressive Midwest. I'm your host, Davis Johnson. Well, on today's episode, we are going to be having a conversation with Dave Hammond, the lead pastor of Grafted Community Church in Northeast Minneapolis. And we're going to be talking about uh, suffering, which might seem like a bit of a curious topic to kick off a podcast. But the reality is ministry itself is far from rainbows and butterflies. In fact, John Fox opens his famous Book of Martyrs by saying the history of the church may also be said to be a history of the trials and sufferings of its members. If we look at John 16, Jesus himself agrees with this sentiment in saying that trouble is actually going to be a normative experience in this world. Or take the description from uh, Hebrews 11, verses 37 and 38. It reads, They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. I think the best summary then that we can give of a Christian is one who follows a suffering servant whose cross came before his crown. Suffering then is not abnormal, so we shouldn't be astonished when it comes, nor should we despair. Arriving in the proverbial land of milk and honey, this destination that we all long for in a heart of hearts is almost always preceded by a wandering in the wilderness. A season or many seasons of suck, frankly. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, I'm convinced that if the Apostle Paul, as a church planter, had a business card, that's what it would read. Follow me as I follow Christ. And if anyone knows how frequently Christ leads through the valley of the shadow of death, it, it was Paul. And so how do we deal with all of this? Well, I wanted to get Dave Hammond on this first episode of the podcast because his story is profound in and of itself. And it's also beneficial for other church planters because... He's a guy that has developed this spine of steel uh, given the seasons of suffering that he's gone through. And I'm hopeful that his story will encourage you in whatever season of wandering through the proverbial wilderness that you find yourself in. So let's check it out. All right. I want this to rotate. Dave. What? Good afternoon. What? Thanks for being here, Dave. Yeah, I'm glad to be here for you. Podcast number one. Podcast number one. This is exciting. With Dave Hammond. Dave, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about Grafted. I am Dave Hammond, the lead pastor here at Grafted, is how I start most of my sermons mm. when uh, I don't start with some kind of scripture. Uh, we <laughs> are a church in Northeast Minneapolis that started... Oh, 2014, uh, summer 2014, we did some pre-service, pre-launch services, and then uh, October 2014, we started, and uh, we're a tiny church out of, church plant out of Hope. I don't know, what else do you want to know? Uh, tell us about the people in Northeast Minneapolis. The people of Northeast Minneapolis mm-hmm. uh, are incredibly varied. It is a, <laughs> a weird place to try to plant a church. It... Uh, it has this huge hill, and uh, the top of the hill lives in a different world than the bottom of the hill. Hmm. And the bottom of the hill uh, has a street central where immigrants come, and then after a generation, they move off of the street, and then a generation more, they move off the street. And so you can kind of see waves of immigrants coming into northeast Minneapolis. Wow. Uh, Minneapolis. Northeast Minneapolis originally was just the blue-collar area of town. 
if you ever go up there, you can see the streets are named in order of the presidents. Hmm. It was just to help immigrants prepare for the citizenship exam so that they would know the history of the United States. Um, So we had a lot of people that were uh, blue-collar workers coming in, trying to just make a living, trying to become citizens. Wow. So kind of still has that feel, even though uh, it's got a lot of middle-class Upper middle class white folk that have been living there for years now and generations, yeah, yeah. but so it's it's got this huge, very difference between people that showed up, you know, less than five years ago, and people that have been there for way too long. Yeah, and when did you guys uh, plant grafted? Can you right, two thousand fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. August, October, October twenty fourteen is when we first did our first service. And, and how so. about you realizing that you were called to plant a church? What, what was that oh, process? I, uh, I don't remember when it was. I know that we were in our current house, so it had to be within the last eight years. But uh, we were sitting around our living room, and we were hosting a small group. And uh, I looked around the small group, and I was like, children's minister, worship leader, finance guy, associate pastor, lead... This is a church plant. What are we doing being a small group at Hope? For you listeners, Dave is pointing at inanimate objects in the room and naming them different, naming them functions different things. The uh, different functions of a church. It was the weirdest thing where we realized we are wasting the talent of the kingdom of God to be sitting around yeah. here in this small group. We should plant a church. And I said this to this group, and none of them planted with us. Uh, <laughs> zero of those people are now part of our church plant. Uh, they're serving other churches, though, which is great. It's just, mm. But it was that time that I got the bug. And it was just like, no, this is what we should do. This is good. The kingdom of God needs churches to be planted to wow. reach more and more people. So, wow. And when was that? No idea. No idea. Okay. Well, what uh, was the process when that happened? When you pointed at inanimate objects? When I pointed at inanimate the people that yeah, the, yeah, those yeah. objects represented. Tell uh, us about the process of when you realized that, when you yep. caught the bug, and when you actually planted in twenty fourteen. So uh, I guess had to be within three years of when we planted. I uh, I was going to seminary at the time at Bethel Sem, mm-hmm. um, and after um, finishing seminary, realizing that I didn't have the skills that I wanted to have. I had all these tools in my toolbox, but I had no idea how to use them. Hmm. Um, so I ended up coming to, to hope and saying, help. I need to learn how to use these tools and going through their, uh, LDI, the leadership development Institute, the process I did. I skipped the first year because of my seminary Hmm. time. Uh, I ended up teaching some classes during, uh, my two years of Trek two, as hope calls it. And, uh, planted after that so two years of that one year of a uh, church planter in residency at hope and then we planted wow and as you look back at the residency and also just going through the leadership development institute what are some of the high water marks or the things that stand out to you as really helping you prepare to be a church planter i was really encouraged by the pastors at hope um in the way they allowed I went through the process with Jared Doherty, who uh, also is a church planter out of Hope, and uh, they really encouraged us to just take the lead in teaching classes and say, "No, you you need to deal with these kids, these these, these punk kids, <laughs> these that, children, these children that are no longer <laughs> that children. you put here with me, <laughs> <laughs> these children that you put here with me." Uh, really, just uh, take charge of them and show them how and hmm. do it with them and work with them and walk through uh, theological development with them and cry with them and sit with them when their house gets robbed and just be pastors to them, um, really being encouraged. So I think that 
that's like the overarching, mm. but teaching Old and New Testament with uh, with Jared, uh, with Core watching over us, Pastor Core, and then uh, I guess there's one time when uh, yeah one of the houses was robbed um, of one of the first the Trek One interns, and uh, all their stuff had been taken out by this guy who climbed to the window. They were all asleep, and he was like, "I'm not going to hurt you. I just want your stuff." Um, so they woke up and they, so they woke up and there's this dude going through their house, stealing their stuff. Um, and so these young women are just like freaking out. Right. Rightly so. Rightly so. Uh, one of them happens to have their phone on and turns the tracker on. And so the cops are able to like find out that this dude is in a house three doors down with all this other stolen stuff. <laughs> and, and, the guy. and he went on to start the band three doors down. And they did. <laughs> that was exactly how that band started. And, uh, but that day just sitting with that intern, just being like, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to sit here with you so that you're not alone. And like, wow. she was at, she was at hope. She was in the intern office there's, but it was just like, this is, this is, this is a part of pastoring hmm. just sitting here. Yeah. And that was, that was a good moment. So I feel like those two moments, one theological training wise and one pastoral wise. Wow. Um, during that process. Wow, that's awesome, man. But, um, yeah. yeah. As you look back at your time at Hope, and then as you compare it to your experiences shepherding in Northeast Minneapolis, mm-hmm. can you think of anything that's unique in the way that you have to shepherd the people of Northeast Minneapolis uh, contextually, just based on where they are? Are there differences in their needs? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially from Hope, yes. Right? I mean, Hope is a unique beast of uh, people coming out of the college life mm-hmm. um, and uh, having an incredible amount of free time on their hands uh, where they think they don't have any time at all because they have to study <laughs> for finals. And it's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> to have that free time again. Um, but it's a, it's a different beast to, to be dealing with working schmucks. Hmm. Um, and so I, I spend a lot of time trying to maximize lunches, um, maximize time after kids are in bed, uh, talking to parents and going out and drinking at Fulton and, and, and yep, uh, what, what? <laughs> and enjoying, enjoying a nice IPA with somebody and, and talking about the things uh, of God and the, the truth of Christ. And mm. so there's a lot of time management thing where it's just like, no, here, here are my two windows that I have every day that I can interact with people. And then I think there's a big piece of, I guess I would say three things. One time management two uh, interacting with homeowners and uh, interacting with people that are putting down massive roots where they are as opposed to putting down or like the, the transient population hmm. that hope tends to grab onto and minister to. Um, and I think the third one is just uh, there's a, a racial, I don't want to say divide, but I think divide might be the best word. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Northeast has, like I said before, Northeast has that hill where the bottom of the hill is all the immigrants and the top of the hill is all the white folk. And so there's this, this thing, even though our church is predominantly white, um, helping to teach people how to think in a different way from, yeah, you grew up white bread world, white people all around you, all of you thought like middle-class white folk, let's think differently about the world and let's interact with the world in a slightly different culture because the gospel speaks into both of those cultures. And if it doesn't, then are we really following a true gospel? Mm. Um, so trying to, 
trying to teach people how to do not racial reconciliation, but thinking differently with a different racial lens hmm. um, through the lens of the gospel and allowing, okay, this, this person who's going to come into your life who has lived their entire life uh, in a Latino culture, how do they think about the gospel? Yeah. And how does their upbringing change the way they think about the gospel? Hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. Trying to think about that and help people think of that process yeah. uh, as they reach out to their neighbors and reach out to their coworkers. Yeah, not easy. Uh, yeah. One of the reasons that I got really excited to bring you on here, Dave, is uh, you have a unique background <laughs> and story. Yeah. And every time I get together with you, man, it's filled with laughter and you're just a guy who really lights up a room and you wouldn't know that your background is it, it includes such a deep form of suffering and i'd love for you to just get the opportunity to, to get on a microphone and share with people what yeah. you've been through as a church planner specifically when you actually started this church yep and the uh, the difficulties that you face so so first just just give us an introduction to the story of the story dave hammond the and story Chelsea of dave hammond <laughs> yeah uh, the story includes my wife, and it's incredibly important to uh, not say this is my story, but it is our story. Amen. Um, uh, where to, there's a lot that's happened in the last three years, and I I will do it injustice in the time we have. So let's just start there. Yeah. Um, we uh, started the church in 2014. Hmm. At that time, when we started, um, Chelsea was working as a speech language pathologist in a public school in Edina. I was working as a part-time supervisor at UPS uh, on a shift that started at 11 p.m. and ended at 4 a.m. You heard that right, <laughs> p.m. and then a.m. <laughs> so I, w- I would go help get the kids, the other two. I, I, I had two kids when we planted, um, and I'd help get the other two to bed, and then I'd go to bed for three hours, and I'd wake up, because that's two sleep cycles, and then I'd wake up, go to work, come back, sleep again for another sleep cycle, and then wake up, hang out with the kids while Chelsea was at work, and then pastor in the evenings and do it all over again. Um, that was fun. <laughs> wow. um, but So that was, that was just normal life. Um, and uh, working at UPS got us insurance and got me some free time and got, uh, because I wasn't working full time there, and got us uh, money to be able to, I wasn't taking a salary from the church when we started. Mm-hmm. Um, but it meant that Chelsea and I, we slept in the same bed one night a week. It was Friday night. Um, because I worked Sunday through Thursday at UPS. Um, and then Saturday night I stayed up all night and just wrote a sermon and then went (laughs) to church because as a church planter, that's one of the things you do is you write a sermon at some point. That's that's a part of the description. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if pastoring a church is you preach a sermon. It's not clarified when you write that. No, you just, you just have you just, to you have write to get it. That done. You have to get it done at some point. I've heard people say the Saturday night special. I'm like that. This is just Sunday morning. This is just when I write. So Chelsea and I uh, would only be in the same bed for an entire night, uh, one one night a week, and then f- uh, February twentieth, which is a Friday night, into the morning of the twenty first. We were sleeping in the same bed and woke up at about 2 a.m. Uh, to my wife having a grand mal seizure. Hmm. Um, that uh, seizure, my first uh, thought was, uh, you know, get her on her side so she doesn't swallow her tongue hmm. um, because I'm still a Boy Scout apparently. Who knew? <laughs> and 
just uh it was this weird she she snapped out of it for a second and i said chell and she looked at me with these scared eyes mm. and uh and i was like it's gonna be okay and then she slipped right back into uh the full body convulsions wow. and uh i started praying uh jesus don't take my wife right just like save my wife save my wife Gave her a hug and I reached for my phone and called my mother along, who's a physician's assistant. And I was like, "What do I do now?" Yeah. Uh, she's like, "Well, get off the phone with me. <laughs> Call nine one one." Yes, that is what I should do. You are correct, Laura. Thank you. Yes, that's what I should do. Um, she said it's probably uh, preeclampsia, which uh, causes uh, seizures, and the cure is giving birth. So you're probably going to become a dad this morning again, Dave. Congratulations. I'll be there as soon as I can. Called 911 and the paramedics came. And uh, by the time they had stabilized Chelsea with uh, enough drugs and whatnot and got her out the door, my mother in law drove up. I ran out the house with one shoe and sock on and the other shoe and sock in my hand, jumped in the ambulance, and we went to HCMC. And I thought we were, here we go. Time to have another kid. I started texting the whole family. Hey, everybody, it's exciting news. Josiah's coming this morning. Crazy times. And uh, after a, just a, a battery of tests, uh, they sat me down and said, uh, okay, so Dave, uh, we found a, a very large mass in your wife's brain. And uh, I remember sitting there with uh, three doctors and the um, chaplain for the hospital. And all I could think was, okay, all right, okay. I don't have any clue what they said to me, but my response was always, okay, all right. I was 100% in shock. There's no question. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm blessed with a sister who knows the hospital system well mm. um, for different reasons and uh, called her up. I need you. Um, she drove down into the cities and, and was able to be here um, with me at the hospital. Just let me sleep so she could just hear from the doctors if anything new happened. Um, and that morning at about 7 a.m., I called one of our elders and said, I'm not preaching tomorrow. <laughs> You're up. Here's what's going on. Uh, he spent the rest of the day at the hospital with me, so I have no idea when his sermon got written. But wow. uh, the next morning, church happened. No idea how. Um, after uh, tests upon tests, um, uh, the the tumor um, looks like it was either uh, uh, non-cancerous or like a stage one cancer. Um, and it probably had a sac around it that was just pushing on the brain, which caused the seizures. Um, but they wouldn't be able to know until they actually opened up her head and looked. Hmm. Uh, they couldn't do that until Josiah could be born. <laughs> um, so we waited uh, until the 9th of March, and Josiah was born by C-section. And then on the 11th of March, uh, Chelsea had her first craniotomy wow. and uh, took out her left prefrontal lobe. And uh, about 100 cubic centimeters of her brain uh, is missing. Um God is good and that he made our frontal lobes redundant, mostly because dudes run into walls and things. <laughs> so we need to have redundancies. But in this case, um, uh, 
we spent those couple weeks preparing for Chelsea to come out of surgery without uh, her speech intact because it was really close to her speech cortex mm-hmm. um, without the ability to reason um, and have uh, executive function that's what it's called um, the fact that she is a speech language pathologist made it scarier because yeah. she knew what was at stake and at the same time um, she knew what she needed if she came out without the ability to speak um, so she made herself a little speech communication device on a, a tablet. Um, I need my husband um, in her own voice. And she recorded lullabies for our kids in case Josiah was never going to be able to hear her voice. Wow. So uh, she came out of the surgery um, and asked for me. Hmm. And God is very good. Hmm. Um, I don't really know how we ate for the next year. <laughs> or how we ate those two weeks. But somehow food showed up at our house. I worked somehow during that time. I don't know who took care of Chelsea or my kids. Somebody did. Hmm. Uh, we, uh, Our community just rallied around us in incredible ways. Uh, learned how to take care of someone else in the family that's going through trials and uh, it was awesome and the next year was a year of healing and a year of incredible joy in all of the little things of look at this baby boy who Hmm. has lived through hell and he doesn't even know it and uh, is a a preemie (laughs) (laughs) whatever Uh, wow and has no clue. And uh, just that year was so awesome. And the the church was growing, and uh, the building we were in uh, ended up raising our rent by like five hundred percent. And so we moved and found a new building, and uh, I ended up quitting UPS and uh, taking a different job in the company where I could keep benefits but work just ten hours a week. Which if any of the church planters out there want to find a job <laughs> where you can work ten hours a week and get benefits for you and your family. Work at UPS. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I, I, we, I was able to change jobs. Things were going great. And then trippy, uh, Chelsea tripped and fall, fell. Chelsea tripped and fell. Like I just tripped over my words. <laughs> and uh, hit her head. Uh, uh-huh. She was walking into the house after a small group one night. And tripped and hit her head in the door to our house. Which uh, dislodged something in her, her, her sight. Where her... Uh, the hardware was and where the the bone flap the piece of bone they took out in order to get to the cancer um uh was and it dislodged something no idea what it was uh and but it started growing and uh chelsea and i started to use the word necrotic tissue um which means dead tissue um i mean like i chelsea has no desire for me to call it uh, leprosy of the forehead, but it's just <laughs> this is totally what it was. Lepre- we, we have a cure for leprosy. This wasn't, it was, this was worse. There was no cure. Um, she got a pick line and they still, I have not heard from anybody that, uh, infectious disease has found out what the thing was that was living in Chelsea's head, but it was eating away at, uh, her skin and, uh, the other tissue in, in her head. And so, uh, 
took four more surgeries of uh, skull removal and hardware removal and uh, skin removal, trying to just remove infected pieces um, from her head. So uh, over that next spring and summer, we went through four more brain surgeries. Wow. Um, And uh, in the end, the, the fourth surgery, so third surgery that summer, fourth surgery overall, um, with the same neurosurgeon who was awesome. Hmm. Um, uh, Dr. Gabe just ended up taking everything out. And so Chelsea went home for two weeks, uh, without a skull on her left front corner of her head. Um, and like you could see her brain pulsing with her heartbeat, um, just to make sure everything was out. And then two clean weeks. Uh, without any new growth from the organism and uh, went back in and put in a prosthetic skull for the fifth surgery. And that was the end of the surgeries. Wow. So uh, the the brain cancer um, was real. There was no sac. It was stage two brain cancer that, that messed with a lot of things. Yeah. Um, the necrotic tissue and the, the organism living in Chelsea's head that no one knows what it is was a lot of things Um, it's crazy to think now uh, we go in every three months for an MRI to look and see if the cancer has come back at all but Dr. Nagib has took out all the cancer in the first shot it looks like Um, we actually just got news last Tuesday that we can extend those to every four months Um, so until the kids are back in school we don't have another MRI which is exciting Um, uh, after multiple pick lines and multiple surgeries uh, the organism doesn't look like it's rearing its ugly head at all. Yeah. Um, and both of us have taken this as a, a very, very real wake-up call of your bodies are fragile. Mm. Um, your bodies are will, will fall apart and, and they, will, they will fail you. Mm. Um, and you are an immortal being. And everybody around you's body is fragile. Mm. And they are an immortal being. And how are you going to interact with them? Um, the night, the weekend that Chelsea went in the hospital with um, the first seizure, um, our next door neighbor, crotchety old dude, uh, had was uh, a dude who worked on garage doors all his life, and he was a, a fix a guy by trade, and so his back was hunched over, and like he'd clearly beaten up his body his entire life, and so he was like that guy in the neighborhood that everybody kind of avoids, and like <laughs> I don't really want to be in my backyard when Bruce is in his backyard. Uh, that weekend, he had a heart attack and died. Wow. And uh, it makes me think, did I share the love of Christ with him? Because hmm. right, that weekend is a very, very big weekend in my family. Hmm. But am I going to allow that weekend to just define my family, or is it going to define how I interact with everybody? Hmm. And your body is falling apart. So am I ministering just to your body? Am I ministering just to the way that you interact with other people? Or am I ministering to that immortal piece of you that God is going to carry on to eternity? Hmm. So yeah, that's kind of the story. Wow. I think. Yeah. Like I said, there's there there I think it's there's it's too big. There's too much in there. Um in in, in all that mess. Uh my extended family had a, a stroke and a 
aneurysm and uh, my dad ended up contracting and dying of pancreatic cancer and I mean just like so there's yeah. there's more to the mess yeah. um but uh yeah yeah it 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 would it, it has been uh three years of uh one heck of a ride no kidding some uh some advice that's been passed down to me and to many others is to prepare a theology of suffering before you actually experience it mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm curious for you what that looked like beforehand and how yeah. that might have evolved as you were walking through these years of real darkness yeah um Uh, I have three things, I think. And first, I want to amend your question. Uh, you said you when you were, were walking through years of real darkness, mm-hmm. darkness. Um, and uh, I'm not out. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I heard the phrase PTSD, I assumed it was only for soldiers who'd gone to war, mm-hmm. um, because it's it's something that happens post trauma. Um, I didn't really realize what was happening to me when like I couldn't cuddle with my wife the same way that as I was cuddling with her when she woke up with grandma see when I woke up with her body convulsing in my arms oh. and like I just I couldn't because I just go into a panic attack mode um, I was on a friend's uh, speedboat with my kids and I freaked out because what happens if one of my kids jumps into the water? And it's like, not the, like the, okay, yeah, a dad freaks out because their kid might jump in the water. Who knows? Like, it'll be okay, Dave. But like, white knuckle, can't move, can't breathe, intense fear that just grabs a hold of you and doesn't let you go. Uh, the years of, of darkness are not over, mm. which is weird. So I want to mend your question. That's one of them. Uh, just because it's not. Um, to before going into this craziness, um, I heard another church planter, Chris Walker, uh, say to me, um, he was quoting a book about how uh, as pastors were supposed to be parables of Jesus. Um, and God revealed himself to us in a suffering servant who died for us. And so if we are supposed to be parables of Jesus, then every week we should stand up in front of our congregations and die a little bit to ourselves. I was like, oh, that sounds good. I can do that. I can stand up and I can die to myself. Ain't no thing. Uh, and yeah, I, I did not realize uh, what it was going to be like to die to myself as I watched my wife losing a hold on the grip of life herself. Um, So I had a theology of suffering going in. I had no idea what my theology of suffering really meant. And um, I knew that suffering was a part of the game for us as followers of Jesus. If we're going to be image bearers of Jesus, the one who suffered and died, Mm. then we're going to suffer and die. But, yeah, those are really words until you go through it. Um, and in the outcome, the outset, I mean, the at the other side, there's this incredible thing that happened where, like, 
the reason I planted a church is because people don't know Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Like I was, I was talking to Steve Treichler, the the senior pastor at Hope, about the idea of multi-siting and how cool that would be. And she was like, "Dave, we're like three years out from this, and lo and behold, about three years later, you Hope did <laughs> end up multi-siting." Uh, and I was like, "But people don't know Jesus today, Steve. We got to do this now." He was like, "You should plant a church, Dave." I'm like, "Okay, sounds good." <laughs> um, so there's that passion within me because people don't know Jesus today. Um, but like they could die tomorrow. Hmm. So there's this like this weird, like impatience within me of like, no, 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 no. Today (laughs) that is new, that is is fresh because of my experience, uh, Hmm. with this of just like, no, death is a reality to which we all are going to have to reckon ourselves, reckon our lives with where death is coming. Unless Jesus comes back. Yeah. And if Jesus comes back, it's too late. Mm. So there's an end. Go. <laughs> it's like every single one of your neighbors is one of those immortal souls. Yeah. Talk to them about the one who loves them so much. Mm. Every single one of my neighbors is an immortal soul. Why am I not talking to them? And like the the, the story of Bruce, right? The story of the guy who lived next door to me that I, I avoided. Because he was the annoying old man who wanted to tell me how to keep my lawn because he doesn't like crabgrass and creeping Charlie to get into his yard. Right. Whatever. Right. Uh, I mean, like, why did I avoid him hmm. and ask him about his relationship with Jesus? Why, why didn't I ask him about his relationship with Jesus? Yeah. So it's that, that holy impatience, that righteous uh, desire to get out there and share the love of Christ with everyone I meet. And then there's this incredible patience that's been granted to me through this process where so many people were patient with me for two years and patient with Chelsea and patient with my kids as they acted out. Um, I mean, our house was not an emotionally stable house for some very formative years (laughs) for our kids. Um, And so emotionally they're learning now some of the things that they could have learned younger. Hmm. And my... people in our lives that have been patient with them and how in the world should I not be patient having been shown patience Mm. not just the patience of God waiting for me to call on him in the moments of my sin but the patience of the body of Christ when I was just not able to function well so Mm. theology of suffering good going in coming out it's different and it changes a lot hmm. it's going to be the too long didn't read <laughs> version <laughs> what what advice might you have for a, a young planter uh, who's really interested in getting out there and sharing the love of Jesus with his neighbors uh, has an understanding of suffering has experienced some mm-hmm. but doesn't mm-hmm. yet know what is on the other side of this mm-hmm. um, how do you prepare for this how do you follow Jesus in this? Um, That's a good question. That's different than the question you asked me. Uh, (laughs) I have words for young David. Uh, Young, young church planter Dave. Yeah, give us those Uh, words. What would you say to Well, those were, I mean, this is going to be the hardest thing you're going to do in your entire life. Hmm. And it's going to really suck. And you're going to love Jesus more on the other side. And you're going to want people to love Jesus more on the other side. And this is going to suck. 
And it's going to be the hardest thing you ever do. And you can do it. Right. I can tell myself. I could tell myself that. Hmm. Right. I knew going in that this could be hard. And like, everybody's like, this is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. Sure, it will be. <laughs> Great. I'll be fine. I'm that different church finder for whom it's going to be easy. No, you're not. I have uh, an S on my chest. <laughs> I am super planter. Uh, no, you're not. Um, this is going to be hard. Um, the for the the young buck who doesn't know what suffering is, um, I mean, I pray that he never learns. Hmm. I I do not wish this experience on other church planters. So, young buck who doesn't know what suffering is pray you never do and if you do lean on your community use this time when you are suffering to point people to Jesus and how Jesus was suffering teach people how to rally as a community and to serve each other as a community and to love one another as a community as a body of Christ and teach people about what that body of Christ means as you suffer and be a parable of Jesus It's an amazing word, Dave. Uh, thank you for You're being welcome. the first guest on this. This podcast. is exciting. I'm uh, excited for you. <laughs> excited to listen to other ones happen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, God's richest blessing on you and Chelsea. Thank you. And Grafton Community Church in Northeast. We're excited about what you guys are doing and wish you all the best moving forward. Man. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to our very first episode of the Midwest Church Planting Project. We've got a lot more coming your way that we are stoked about. So follow us on Instagram. Uh, reach out to us with any questions that you might have or people that you want to see on this podcast or topics specifically that you want to hear addressed in the church planting world. Special thanks to Hope Hymns for supplying some dope tracks for us to listen to before and afterwards. These guys are great. Hit them up on Spotify or anywhere else that you get your music nowadays. Uh, they have three albums out, all of them backed by Kickstarter, and uh, we're just really excited to see what they're doing, and thanks to them for letting us use their sweet tunes. And thank you for listening to the Midwest Church Planting Project. Name Christ's holy name Give God